I loved how it made me feel. Mm-hmm. That's why I stuck with it. I got it, it. It helped me get into some really profoundly peaceful states, and insightful states, and meditative states, and quickly. Mm-hmm. And that felt really good. So I kept doing it. Things, yeah, but I think you're pretty much setting yourself up for failure if if you are entering into a practice that the majority of it you do not enjoy. Right. And I'm not saying like spiritual bypass or not doing real work and stuff, but there are things that you you naturally acclimate to. There are things that resonate with you. There are things that turn you on and excite you and, and you know tickle you and that you just kind of, you gravitate more to and that you enjoy. Kind of pushing aside that programming and giving yourself the space to have an authentic experience of who you are and what your feelings are and what your beliefs are and what your desires are and your passions are is an invaluable experience. Welcome to the Honor Your Aura podcast, a podcast devoted to learning about, caring for, and empowering the energy within with your host, Kema England. everyone. I am so excited to be here today with someone very special, my love, John Craig. Now I get to enjoy John all the time and we have really just amazing conversations all across the board, but he has such a plethora of knowledge about energetics and the spiritual realms and he also has this really deep logical and intellectual side to him and does a lot of research when he's exploring any topic. He's also the creator of a meditation app and has written a few books that really tie again his intellect with his deep understanding of spirit. So one of the things that John has really opened my eyes to has been the method of entrainment. Now John even makes his own entrainment tracks which are just a next level experience. And basically entrainment is utilizing sound waves to affect our brain waves. Now, just learning about it literally blows my mind. Um, but it to learn about it brings a deeper understanding as to how it can be really beneficial and how we can apply this practice to our daily life, to our meditation. Or even if we don't meditate, it can still be incorporated in a really wonderful tool. So in this episode, I'm going to pick his brain so you can all enjoy and get as much out of his wisdom as I do. So John, it is so great to have you here on the Honor Your Aura podcast. Thank you. So I'd love to hear from you about just what sparked your interest in entrainment and how you and how you started to dive into this 
this whole realm of sound waves and brain waves and their impact on us as yeah humans. absolutely um i think my my interest in entrainment really came uh, or i should say evolved out of um, you know really when i really started to pursue my spirituality um deeply and that was probably in my early 20s and as i was um, learning more about meditation and you know different consciousness states um i i, I honestly can't tell you what the first thing was that um, introduced me to to entrainment but um, for me it was really interesting because as i was you know first kind of starting on my spiritual path which i think uh, you know a number of people do i i was looking for some scientific evidence of it some kind of you know, reality-based aspects of it. I think to, uh, one, just because I tend to be a somewhat logical person and, and, and pursue things and tend to be a researcher as well. So, you know, the more that I could find that I could validate helped me a great deal. The other thing is that as I really started to get into meditation and, and wanted to get into those deeper meditative states, I found entrainment to be an incredible tool and for those who aren't familiar with entrainment, if you think about, you know, there's, you know, four main types of brain waves and, and we cycle through these, through our normal waking and sleeping consciousness all the time. And, you know, uh, there are delta, theta, alpha, and beta. There's some other ones. There's one called gamma, which is a much higher one, which isn't quite as well known and a very low one called epsilon. But for the most part in people's consciousness, when we talk about brain states, there's the, the four ones, beta being, you know, waking consciousness, walking around fully awake, alpha being a, a slightly lower brain um, state. You can think about that when you're in very creative periods, when you're very kind of in a uh, peaceful, focused, almost dreamy state. If you're working on a project, you're very engrossed in. If you're, you know, doing art, um, sometimes if you're, you know, doing something with sports, for example, you can be in an alpha state, which is a very focused but relaxed state. Below that is uh, the theta state, which is much more of a dreamlike state. That's the state that we go into when we fall asleep and we're dreaming. That's when REM state happens. If the random eye movement, when if you see someone who's asleep and their eyes are moving back and forth, that's a, they're in the theta and the REM sleep. And then the lower state, which is a, we go into during our sleep cycle, is the delta state. And that's dreamless sleep when it's a period of time of a lot of integration and recuperation in our body. It's when human growth hormone is produced by the body. It's, it's when, you know, stress hormones and, and different plaques and whatnot get filtered out of our brain. And when, you know, positive brain chemicals, serotonin, dopamine, stuff like that are produced. Um, and we move through these different states we have some activity in each of these at all time but there's more of a predominance of one when we're doing different things and when you look at longer term meditators they tend to get into when they they meditate once that one thing that happens with a lot of people who have meditated for a long time is they have increased brain synchronization which is when the left and right hemisphere of the brain are are much more balanced and, and kind of working together and and, and congruently and they also um, more easily go into those states. Alpha and theta are a very relaxed state. So when you look at you know someone who might be doing transcendental meditation or mantra meditation, which is a bit more active, transcendental is not quite as much. But you know they will go into the alpha, the theta state, sometimes the delta state, although that not although not as much. So I found entrainment to be an incredible tool for me to very quickly kind of cheat 
to be very honest with you, to achieve some of those meditative states that took and focus states and relaxation states that literally took meditators who were doing, you know, transcendental meditation decades to do. And uh, the way that this works is there was some research done, I think it was in the 1970s at a senior Sinai hospital, a guy named uh, Gerald Oster, who was a professor there or a scientist. And what he found was that phenomenon using binaural beats. So this is basically uh, introducing two separate frequencies into your right and your left ear. So for example, you would have a, a 10 hertz frequency going into your left ear and let's say a, a 20 hertz frequency going into your right ear. And what he found was what the brain does when it has those two inputs goes in is it starts producing brain waves. That's the difference of the two. So, you know, 10 on the left, 20 in the right, it would entrain, your brain would entrain and start producing brain waves at 10 hertz. So what you found is you could literally tune the brain based on these inputs. Now we've since found, you know, different types of tones. There's monotones that they can do it with and isochronic tones, which is a single tone that they're able to achieve a similar effect with. Um, but it's really kind of an incredible technology and you know, entrainment's something that happens, you know, a lot and naturally. If you've ever heard, uh, for example, um, you know, the, uh, an older refrigerator that has that kind of off frequency tone and you find your, you know, your body just getting stressed around it or whatnot, we're impacted by these things and we kind of entrain to different things all the time. But, you know, using the entrainment of the binaural beats is just, it's a very quick, effective way to achieve very specific brain states. Wow, thank you for sharing that. I really love how your information that you gathered was based on just this genuine interest for deeper understanding and learning about something that was spiritual or metaphysical and finding the the science behind it, which clearly allowed for a more authentic relationship to this new practice that you are incorporating into your daily life. If you could uh, just talk a little bit about what exactly entrainment is. So you talked about how we're impacted, but what does it mean when we are entraining to, let's just say, the refrigerator or we're kind of basic, my interpretation is that our energy frequency is somehow melding with that of the refrigerator or when we're utilizing let's say tuning forks or singing bowls we're in essence in training our energy to that of the bowls is that correct yeah absolutely well when you think about it i mean just from a physical level our bodies are, are predominantly made of water which is a, a a very strong transducer of frequency especially sound i mean sounds travels faster in water actually and to a larger a further I should say as well. And so we are actually getting, you know, we're having inputs going through our bodies all the time. And, you know, when you think about the you know, different um, resonances of things, when those frequencies are going to, we literally were going through us. We were literally, you know, the strongest frequency in a system is usually what the frequency that wins out. Let's, so if you think of, you know, two, um, I'm trying to remember what the experiment was, but you have one uh, body in a system that's you know ro uh, uh, vibrating at a specific frequency and it's a stronger frequency by stronger like there's literally more power that's being generated by that frequency what they find in systems and physics is that 
the other objects in that system will adopt or entrain to that stronger frequency. So you can think about that happening all the time. And you feel it when you go into certain situations. I mean, we are, um, you know, even when you just think about the amount of input we're getting just from our senses, which is a, a tremendous amount of input and, and at a level of sensitivity that I think would even surprise us, you know, the, the, um, the amount that we can pick up, um, that we can feel, what our skin and sense of touch can feel is, is almost at the atomic level um, that we can actually sense and detect variations in, in a surface or the amount of, of atmospheric pressure change that our ears can detect. Light, obviously, we can only pick up a certain amount of the spectrum and it's a small amount actually of the light spectrum, but we, we are, we're able to, when we're focused on it, although we're doing it subconsciously all the time, we're able to very, very specifically pick up a ton of information about our environment all the time. So that's basically how I would in, it, describe the entrainment, the process of entrainment. It's a physical process. It's a, it's a mechanism. Right. And for those that have taken crystal courses with me, that's also how I tend to describe kind of the, the scientific understanding of crystal healing, where our energy vibration is actually elevating to meet the pure uh, vibration of the crystal. So I love just even being able to pair that back to what to what you're talking about, I think is really fascinating. So let me just get it straight. You were talking about, you know, being able to access these different brain states when you're sleeping and when you're awake, but it, what it seems like you can actually access the deeply relaxed states that you have when you are sleeping, even when you are awake? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's been a lot of studies done on the alpha state in, in particular. Uh, a good friend of mine who's taught about entrainment and, and has done hypnosis meditation for a long time and with advanced learning and changing behavior called, describes alpha as focused passion. Mm -hmm. And that's really a great way to describe it. Uh, alpha has been shown to have acceleration of learning. People who are in the alpha state are more readily take in and retain information. And talking about changes of behavior, whether it's habitual things, that for whatever reason, being in the alpha state tends to uh, create more of a, a kind of a plastic state that, um, whether it's letting go of existing patterns or adopting new behaviors, it's been shown to, to kind of help that process along as well. And again, it's, it's kind of one of those states and, and how, you know, your brain is actually processing things. You know, uh, one of the side effects, for lack of a better word, or, or symptoms of being in the alpha state is uh, losing track of time. So you're so focused on something and so into it, you know, whether you're working on a project you love or something you're just very intent on and you realize, oh my God, 90 minutes just went by and I had, it could have been five minutes. So, you know, there's benefits in, in things like that. You know, alpha for learning states, they've done studies in classrooms and kids, you know, would show this as well. I think you and I have talked before about, you know, different things about changing patterning and people, whatnot. There's been research studies of people who have come out of recovery for drugs who, you know, had a control study, people who did the meditation with alpha meditation and entrainment and didn't. And their recidivism rates are so much lower on, you know, the people who actually um, came out and did those things. And for whatever reason, whatever mechanism it is, it facilitates those changes of behaviors, habituations, and 
Um, it's a far more suggestive space to your brain. And, and that's the other thing I want to talk about. Alpha, I mean, our subconscious is running so much of the show and a lot of things that has a huge impact. And Alpha and Theta, Alpha in particular, really give us almost a direct access into, into the subconscious where the ego kind of steps aside and you can start working on, you know, and accessing those subconscious beliefs and patterns and programs. So you mentioned meditation. How does someone enter into or know what state or brainwave state that they're in? So let's just say their intention was that they wanted to, you know, have that focused energy or that focused brain state because yeah. they wanted they were taking a test. What would they do in, to enter into that? Yeah, it can be as easy as. Well, two answers to your questions. How can people be sure they're into that state? Well, this, these, you know, our brain waves can be can be measured by these EEG machines. Most people don't have these. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of less expensive products that are on the market now from you know five hundred dollars or less, which have a few sensors which will actually measure your your brain waves. The ones that are used more professionally, which are like twenty thousand dollars or more, have like thirty two different electrodes much deeper shows brain synchronization and all that so you can actually measure the brain waves it's an electrical current that's going through your brain when you're talking about how would you know if mm -hmm. you're in that state you know if you were doing biofeedback and you were hooked up to one of these things you'd know very precisely you could see you know the predominance of each level of brain wave how strong each of these was what the dominant was at any brain wave was at any period of time the other is through practice and it's a feeling how to get into those states you naturally get into those states all that all the time i mean your brain is set up and those frequencies are there for specific reasons they're there because they help with those tasks or that's you know just when your brain is functioning in that certain way that's that's kind of structurally how it's how how those brain waves are, are working and being focused and put to work with entrainment it's a natural process i mean most have that or have the, the effect of the brain changes, the brain wave changes. Some of the exceptions are people like with advanced Parkinson's, um, they found don't react, don't respond the same way to, to brain entrainment. And that could be because of the existing damage that's already happened and you know, the issues with the neurotransmitters. And, but the vast majority of the people do are impacted by entrainment. So how could you easily get into that? You could get a, you could, you know, go on YouTube and, look up entrainment and you're going to see a gazillion different alpha beta theta tracks some of those require headphones some are stereo some of those don't but you will those brain waves will be produced it's a physiological reaction to that input um, which is one of the great things about the, the about the brain wave tracks and the entrainment tracks is that you can be very specific and intentional about the input that you're um, engaging with and what the result will be in terms of, of the brainwave. Now, I'm just not saying if you want to deepen that practice, you can certainly do that through focus and intention on, on yourself. I mean, as you know, we have what our brainwaves are, and we also have our thoughts and our consciousness. So, you know, if you're able to go through, say, a guided practice that is layered with the entrainment tracks, which you're also engaged in to, you know, focus on and move into those states that you're desiring as well. It's a very powerful combination of um, working to achieve those states and get into them. And so when you're doing it yourself or as a partnership with the entrainment tracks, does that 
in essence, kind of strengthen the energetic muscle for you to be able to access those states on your own yeah, when absolutely. you want to. Absolutely. Now, this gets into a couple different things, and some is just about um, how our brain is wired and just how the kind of how the, the synapses and links and just the architecture of our brain works as well. What they have also found, uh, you know, when they've done studies on this is long-term use of these, of this, of, of using entrainment or certain things, you know, your brain is, you know, there's plasticity you've probably heard of in the brain. Now, you know, thir- how many years ago people used to think the brain didn't change at all. You know, once you hit seven years old, that your brain was, it was cement and wired. It was not going to change. They've certain, they've since found that your brain remains plastic plasticity lasts throughout your your entire lifetime now certainly is as the amount of growth during zero to seven when you're in your formative years you know probably greater at during the absolutely evolutionary wise and how development wise that's what that state is which also kind of speaks to why things that happen when you're zero to seven you know what you were what you encountered with your family what you got, saw in your environment the beliefs, uh, conscious and subconscious, that you were exposed to, any traumas that happened during that time, why those would have such a deep impact on, you know, people's behavior and feelings and experience in life moving forward. Because you are so susceptible, your brain is so malleable at that at that time, and and so open to to input. But yeah, the brain you you can rewire your brain any time in your life, and they've shown that to be they've shown that to be true. And I, it feels like you would primarily want to do that based on maybe an overload of stress or discomfort that you're experiencing in your present day, in your either your physical reality, in your mentality, in your emotional body, or wanting to, I would assume, deepen your connection with spirit. And so, so yeah, why would someone even care to want to rewire? And I feel that in this day and age, we are more and more exposed to this idea that we can reprogram our subconscious, which is in turn this direct influence on our conscious physical reality. And I think what we don't always get is how big of a player our subconscious is and we're not aware of it like we are our conscious. Absolutely. And there's been an explosion of, of information. You know, Joe Dispenza is a great example of that. And uh, his stuff is, you know, a lot of it's, it seems to be an offshoot of, you know, teachings that have been ancient, whether it's Kriya Yoga or whatnot. Um, but his whole premise is that our, the way that our brains are wired is based on our beliefs, based on our experience, based on our genetics, based on our family, our environment, the sum total of, of inputs and experiences that we've had. And based on that, our, our body physiologically reacts to that or has been channeled in a certain way because of that. Um, why you would have constant high blood pressure, why you would have chronic pain in a certain area, why would you have any of those things? And what you literally said, what he was literally, the research, a lot of the research is showing is that this goes down to the kind of genetic level, like the way that cells or genes are turned on and off based on literally our, the structure of our beliefs and how the profound effect that changing that can happen. Now, I'll give you a great example. 
you know, someone who grew up in an environment that was very hostile, maybe they had an alcoholic parent, maybe they suffered abuse, maybe they were in a neighborhood where, you know, there was a constant threat of violence. Uh, maybe they grew up and they didn't have enough food. So that was a constant stress. Your, they adjusted to that. They learned to cope with that. And some of that was maybe they were in fight or flight mode quite a lot, which means they probably had higher blood pressure. They probably had elevated cortisol levels. They probably had trouble with relaxation or dealing with long-term memory because, you know, being in the fight or flight mode essentially physiologically shuts down your ability to create long-term memories. So will you imagine talk if you're, about that abso- just a little absolutely bit? will. But so, you know, our brain and our subconscious in particular, and you know, the part of our brain that about survival, we have different filters and one is called the amygdala. So all this information is coming in from our environment. First thing it usually hits is the amygdala. And the amygdala basically says, okay, this input's coming in, whether it's a sight, whether it's a, a sound, whether it's a smell, and it says two things. Is this important? Irrelevant is the better word for that. And two, is this dangerous? And out of survival, like when we were still, you know, in the, you know, in environments where, you know, tigers were coming up to us or whatnot, and we had to very quickly react to that. Um, if we said, hey, this is a tiger, tiger means danger, I am now going to prioritize pathways in the brain to deal with, to deal with very quick decisions based on perhaps limited input to ensure my survival. So what happens in the brain when that happens, hits the amygdala, amygdala says, yeah, this is, gonna, this is a threat to my life. It reroutes that input into the area of the brain which deals with fight or flight. Long-term memory gets shut off, probably our adrenaline kicks in, our cortisol levels go up. We're basically primed to have take quick action to protect ourselves. And, and everything else that, you know, when we were normally, you know, just functioning or dealing day to day, not under threat, gets shut down and deprioritized. So that's one example of that. I'm not sure if I answered your question. Yeah, you no, definitely. That. Definitely. Because I, I loved how you were referring to the amygdala as kind of the gatekeeper. It is absolutely the gatekeeper. Yeah. So, and that's the other thing. So let's talk about the subconscious for a while because I think that's really important. So if you ever did research, and I actually did this once, where I did the research on how much information, like you, you hear about megabytes or whatnot, like from a computer and information, how much information per second are our five different senses are, are basically inputting into our body and into our brain. The most information comes from eyesight. That's actually where the, 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 if you look at it in terms of bandwidth, the most bandwidth is taken up and the input of information that comes in is, is through the eyes. But obviously it's coming in through the other senses as well. You know, the uh, touch, hearing, taste, smell, and vision. So I, don't quote me on this, but it's like 2.5 million byte, bytes of information per second is coming in to, through our sensory. Now our conscious mind is only able to process about 5% of that information. So the other 95% basically goes into and is processed by the unconscious. Now the mechanism of the subconscious, the subconscious's goal is to kind of do two things. One, it's to protect us. And it's also, it's basically a big, a computer system it's running programs it's not really have thought of its own but so it's and it's a pattern recognition machine so early on it tries to make sense of the inputs that are coming in it puts them into different structures what we call belief systems or different lenses or filters 
And based on that, it kind of learns what it thinks or we think is important, what has relevance in our life. And based on that, it prioritizes either things that it thinks is important or relevant in our life or things that will keep us safe. And it's doing that all the time because the conscious mind can't process all that information. So there has to be a way that that gets prioritized. Um, the other thing about the subconscious is it has no sense of time. So, you know, something that happened five years when you were five years old versus something that happened a year ago uh, to your subconscious mind is happening at the same time. And it's just going to keep running that program until it, it has some input that comes in that changes that, whether it's a belief system, whether it's a different lens or whatnot. You know, um, so you think about, um, you know, obviously I've been involved in education for a long time and I've worked with, you know, kids and teachers and whatnot. And when I try to say to teachers, um, uh, the subject of background information is something that um, is considered very important for engaging students. So, for example, if you're going to introduce a topic you want to give the kids some background information that triggers them to say, this is interesting, this is relevant to me, this matters in some way. So you can think about like costumes that are as diverse as we have now, kids from different cultures, they might be speaking different languages. I worked in Hawaii for, for a long time. You know, it didn't snow in Hawaii. So, you know, the, the kids might not have like a, a relevance or whatever because snow because it didn't really occur in their life. So it wasn't important to them. So you can think about that. You know, if you know, you're in and you want kids to get engaged and pay attention to things, it has to be relevant to them in some way or it has to be important. So you, and, and if that doesn't happen, your brain literally ignores it. Like it literally says that information isn't important to me, so I'm not going to pay any attention to it. And you and I have talked about um, how memory works as well. So we have a couple different types of memory. We have this kind of temporary short-term memory and then kind of like a mid, mid, mid-term memory and then long-term memory. And the mechanisms are different. So short-term memory might be like, uh, I just stopped and someone said, how do, I, how do I get through the neighborhood? I take two lefts and I go right. Well, you do that. You don't need that long-term. You keep it for a couple minutes and then it's gone and you let it go. It never goes into cut to long-term memory. You're probably never going to remember it again. Or, hey, I need to remember this number, this phone number for a couple minutes so I can do the, make that call. Never going to remember it again. That happens all the time to actually go into long-term memory, your brain basically has to say, this is important enough and relevant enough for this to be retained. And it actually, there's actually a chemical process that happens in your brain when something, when a memory goes in, information goes into long-term memory, that they can actually measure this, this chemical that gets produced when it happens. And I know I'm kind of going around a little bit here, but think about that. So for anything really to go into long-term memory, to go into something that's either going to impact your consciousness or going to be something that you remember and actually integrate into your life. It has to be something that's relevant to you. And you have to be in a space where you're not under duress or stress. Because as I said before, when you go into fight or flight, you're long-term, like you literally can't create that chemical that creates the long-term memory and, and activates the long-term memory process. So when you think about core beliefs that you have, Let's say you grew up and your parents had a very, very much a lack mentality or things were not fair or things never work out in this situation or you had a belief about yourself. Um, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not this or things always work out that way. 
those are programs that that are embedded into your subconscious and your subconscious based on those beliefs those computer programs that it's running in perpetuity until they change until something comes in and and changes that your subconscious is literally prioritizing all the inputs in your experience based on that belief system. So it's saying that that is giving that importance as you were talking about. Kami, you literally won't even see something mm -hmm. that is obvious to other people because your brain and your subconscious has said that's not important. Right. And or based that on can't, primarily or, what you were absolutely. raised with. Or that can't be true. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Based again on, on that, that pre-program. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And think about the cascade of things that happen because of that. Either you're in, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about with people who have, who have worked with people clinically with um, PTSD, for example. And PTSD is basically a prioritization of different synapses in your brain based on a really traumatic experience. The other thing we find about that causes things to go into long-term memory is emotion, strong emotion. So if you can... Uh, bring something into somebody's life in a non-threatening way, you can attach an emotion to it, positive or negative, quite frankly, um, and for some reason make that significant, that going into your long-term memory is, is far more likely. Um, you know, when you look at political advertising, it's very, very simple. It goes on some theme that is gonna trigger a subconscious belief of yours and in a, in a strong emotion. Right. That's what that's what gets you. Right. And so kind of to how you were talking about working with kids and you were talking about having something relevant for them to deem it as important to pay attention to learn. That's why I would assume then if, you know, if it's an animal that a kid associates with because of the book that is popular, right. that to have that be the carrier of the information, let's just say it was that character, right. it it would automatically draw their right. attention and they would say, this is important, right. so I'm going to remember it. Right. But then on the flip, would we go through something traumatic and let's just say it's been a recurring theme throughout our life, we're going to be more apt to see it, focus on it in our waking reality, sure. right? And, and deeming that as important as a somewhat of an energetic confirmation of this stored Absolutely. belief that we have. Now think if you're a kid who you're reading four grade levels behind everybody else in your classroom. What if you don't know the language? What if your belief system on top of that based on is that you're stupid and you can't learn? You are almost, so when you're gonna be petrified, when you're gonna like completely be in a stress mode, probably a fight or flight mode most of the time, which means you're physiologically not able to take on, you're not able to learn, period, end of story. Like you, you physiologically can't produce the chemical that you need to, to, to learn in that process. Um, you're probably also afraid you're gonna get called on. Hey John, could you read this paragraph? I imagine being in that and also have it perpetuated with that. So um, those things have very powerful impacts on us and that's often what, so not to go on an offshoot, but what are you gonna do if you're in a situation like that? You're probably gonna be very quiet and go into yourself or you're gonna misbehave because you're gonna to wanna to get the, you're going to want to get the hell out of that situation. So it'll probably be easier to get kicked out of the class or in trouble than to get called out that you can't read mm -hmm. or, you know, what you're lost and what is, is going on. So let's bring this back to how do we change the subconscious? So the subconscious has no sense of time. It cares about things that it feels are relevant and 
you know, it's going to, you know, channel or prioritize spaces that one of the things are relevant, important to your life, or if it feels you're in danger in some way. Our bodies are incredibly efficient machines. So if you're doing something a number of times, you're going to create brain pathways to make that process easier. You know, the quickest distance between two points. So if you're a pianist, and you need to uh, you know, have coordination between your left and right hand and whatever, you're gonna create brain pathways if you do that long enough that prioritize those things. Now, these brain pathways are things that are also impacted by um, you know, this fight or flight response. So I've got a great friend of mine who does hypnotherapy and he was working with someone who got T-boned at an intersection. And it was a certain point, it was, in, it was somewhere in Los Angeles County. Um, and they were doing hypnosis on that. And what he found was the person said, you know, at first I would get stressed when I thought about getting in my car. And then I got stressed when I was anywhere near that point. Then I got stressed when I was in five square miles at that point. So he said this actually grows. So those pathways that are prioritizing, you know, the stress hormones, the response, the, the response chemicals, um, and is almost expecting, I'm in a threat, threat a th a, a, I'm in an environment of threat, so I'm gonna activate those pathways, so if I need to react to things, I am ready to go like that. Um, if those keep acting, you're gonna keep reliving things, and you're also gonna keep anything that looks remotely like that threat is gonna go into that fear funnel and activate those pathways. So you're literally reliving it again and again and again and again. So the question is, how do you break that? And one of the things you, that's very effective for it is you need to be able to access the subconscious and you can't hammer the subconscious. It doesn't work that way. You actually have to, what well, I shouldn't say have to, but it's a lot easier to get into a non-threatening state, get into an alpha state, get into a meditative state and start introducing stimuli. And I would imagine instigate or bring in different emotional responses absolutely. to some sort of trigger absolutely yeah. absolutely so you're wanting to tell those synapses you calm down you did your job when we were when the lion was chasing us when i was in a firefight when you know i didn't know when my dad was going to explode when he was going to come home drunk and beat my mom like any of these uh people who've had sexual abuse you know those things come up so it's this big super belief and experience and whatnot and we literally get coded that way our brain you know literally especially if it happens when we're young we get wired that way and even you know societal beliefs now the good news is you can change those things and i think it's the other reason why because these synapses what they've said when they stop being used actually decrease and then go away and they see this with people with chemical dependencies as well especially with opioids but, you know, we're talking about changing subconscious belief. You uh, going into these meditative states, you know, from the beginning, saying to the amygdala, I'm in a state where I'm safe. You know, one of the first things that your brain, you know, your subconscious sends a signal to your mind or to your body that you're safe is closing your eyes. Because if when you close your eyes in, a, in an environment, you're getting ready to meditate, you're sending a signal if you're like, I don't need to have to be alert about anything. Like I'm in a safe environment right now. I don't need to have that active input going on. And then going into that alpha state, that theta state, where you're in a safe state, your blood pressure is not elevated, your heart rate is not elevated, you're not in a threat state. 
and you are able to, for whatever reason, access the subconscious mind a lot more deeply in that point. And that's when it is much more open to these new inputs um, and these new belief systems. So I think that's one of the ways that it, it becomes incredibly powerful to work with. Right. And so and go bringing it back to entrainment. So how, so entrainment from what I've experienced is this creating of, we'll just say audible sound waves that are corresponding. Sometimes audible. I mean, they're audible. You might not. They're audible. You, they're, they're strong enough that a, a wave that is strong enough that it's reaching your receptors. You might not consciously hear it, but yes. Right. And, and from what I've experienced is they are going from our right to left ear to, I would assume, create some sort of balance or harmonic flow or hypnotization. If you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, they're not actually, there's not, uh, they're actually hitting, they're actually, the inputs are happening in, at the same time. So in the terms of binaural entrainment, there's just a different frequency going into one ear than there is to the other. Um, and again, the mechanism that happens is your brain starts generating brain waves at the difference of those two. Again, I used initially 10 hertz in the left ear, 20 hertz in the right ear, and it, it entrains to the 10, the difference of the 10, right. which would be an alpha. And so would, when you're doing binaural beats, which is a, is a method of yep. entrainment, Correct. then you would be using headphones? Uh, if you were doing binaural beats, you yeah. need stereo to do that. Um, you can do entrainment through visual, visuals as well. Blinking lights can cause entrainment, or, or not cause, but can generate entrainment as well. Some of these other things like the isochronic tones, you don't need, that. that's, a, that's just one tone. You don't need to uh, use stereo for, for that. Now what they found out to get to in the weeds is that um, isochronic, stops being effective uh, really after delta entrainment. So once you get like below, I think it's four or three hertz to the lower, which would be very low would be epsilon. They just don't, your brain, the mechanism doesn't work anymore for whatever reason, but binaural does in those states. Now the other really fascinating ga uh, brain state is gamma. Now Joe Dispenza talks about that. There's been a lot of research on that. And I think it's like 35 to 40 hertz or higher, this gamma state. And it is like a peak performance integration state. So they did, they took these EEG machines that I talked about and they actually uh, measured the brain waves of these Tibetan monks who were involved with the, the Dalai Lama. And they found that these monks generated 10 times the amount of gamma waves as the, the regular public. And that what they focused on was unity consciousness and unconditional love. And gamma is a, a state of, it's almost like a super consciousness state, like a very peak performance, uh, unity consciousness state uh, of great integration, great insight, a great kind of peace well-being state as well. And you can entrain to that. Um, so you can too. basically utilize the isochronic and the binaural beats. Is, are there any other forms? There's of a couple different kinds. You can do it with lights. You can do it. Right. And so then you can it. basically program those Absolutely. to whichever state Absolutely. frequency you are trying to attain. Yep. So you could have binaural beats that were entraining the brain to gamma Absolutely. or 
or Delta, yep. depending on what your, Absolutely. I guess what your intention would be. Right? Yeah. So, you know, there's binaural tracks for things as simple as falling asleep. Mm-hmm. So those will start at probably a high, a high alpha. And then over a couple minutes progress down to, uh, you know, some will stop at theta if they, they want to do something for like a lucid dreaming or a dreaming sleep state. If they want really restful, recuperative state, they'll go down deep to a delta level, then they'll hold that for a while. Now our sleep cycles are generally 90 minutes where we go through those those cycles anyway. Um, but I mentioned you know, uh, some of the things for the brain waves, like I mentioned fibromyalgia to you before. And some of the studies have showed that um, people with fibromyalgia, they either don't aren't able to have REM sleep or don't go into Delta very often. And Delta is where all the really great, you know, uh, neurotransmitter brain chemical stuff is produced. So imagine that being cut off and not being produced. The other thing is studies of, of people with ADHD have a much higher level of um, theta and alpha brain states, but lower beta, beta waking focus consciousness. Um, and they've introduced these entrainment tracks to people with ADHD and they're able to focus. They're able to, to do those things. Now, I, I, that's without any judgment about ADHD or whatever it is because you know, some people would view that actually as a gift, that they are more creative, that they're able to you know, you know, be in those states. But um, it certainly has, has impact on that. So when you're more, let's just say you're more deficient or more active in one state, is that automatically kind of taking the energy from the other state? So if someone's low in the beta, then would they always be more creative? Or if, if when you are in like deep delta, then I would assume gamma is less active. You know, I think there, there's always some remnant uh-huh. of of the whole spectrum oh, yeah. and I think we just we go through it but we certainly run it more some more than others so I don't know if there's a deficiency but I think there is there's obviously less but you know think about whatever the dominant one is mm-hmm. as well so they even see this with people who you know get into these different you know states you look at people who do very or doing very high performance things or people who are considered savants and they, they have very unique brain scans that are a little bit outside of the norm where you know some of these different specific frequencies are very elevated in them so you know anecdotally you would probably say there's something there's some connection between that but very interesting yeah and so can you touch upon what schumann resonance is yeah so the schumann resonance was basically i want to say it's 7.8 hertz and although 7.83 maybe but basically they were, I don't remember who, how they quite got to this, but they think it's kind of the resonant frequency of the planet, of Earth. Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, if we were to measure the, the frequency of the planet, what it's, what it's vibrating at would be 7.83. And some people have thought that tracks, music tracks with that, at that frequency can be beneficial. Right. So that's what they do often with tuning forks, sure. correct? Or any sort of meditation yeah. and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, when you think about frequency, I, we could go way down the rabbit hole on frequency. Everything is frequency. Right, even like the, the heart chakra, for Absolutely. example. Absolutely, or, or organs. Or you know, organs, if you, yeah. uh, the other thing I've been very fascinated with is this thing called kinematics, which is the study of how sound impacts matter and patterns that are created in matter. And anybody who's listening wants to look up 
Hans Jenny, who was one of the original kind of researchers who were, were pushing this, actually would put various frequencies through these plates that were covered by like a podium powder and would see the patterns, the little patterns that were created uh, by doing that. You can see it in water or whatnot or some of these other, other things, but very specific patterns and often very connected to sacred geometry and um, you know Fibonacci stuff and you know all these kind of geometric patterning of, of you know creational things and one of the other fascinating things about this was as he went from lower to higher frequencies at octaves um, he would find that you know when he would hit a pure pure note it would create a certain geometric pattern and then as he went through the octaves went off key or between the keys the pattern would would right. really become a mess and that goes back to its impact on our Absolutely. internal structure if it's impacting water in a pure pristine way kind of like you know dr emoto and right. we've likely all connected to, with his book the hidden messages in water at some right. point but you know what we're kind of what we're saying here is that when there isn't a pure tone that that in turn is going to vibrationally affect the water that is inherent and taking up most of our being yeah or structure and, for sure mm -hmm. so now they've that's gone on steroids mm -hmm. since then and you know in europe they have this thing called the chimatic applicator which is this device that sends out very specific frequencies and some of the researchers there have said they've mapped the specific frequencies of every organ tissues in our body that they each have a specific frequency and the way that they treat disease is they will see these organs as being out of out of that frequency and they introduce that frequency into it now we've seen you know cells getting you know uh, destroyed through frequency through sound through water and whatnot I mean it's just there's so much that is there with that but to finish the thought about the frequency in the octaves these geometric patterns as they got into higher octaves became uh, progressively more intricate and complex which was really fascinating to see to see as well so I do think that there is uh, you know very much something to be said about you know the connections between between all of those things um, so and our, you know, our thoughts, emotions have frequency and vibration. Thoughts have frequency and vibration. Um, and you know, the uh, you know the good news is we're we're it's not necessarily easy, but we're very adaptable. I mean, we're built to change. We're built to do those things. But if you do not get to the the real root of some of these, you know, if, if your core operating system is still running a certain way, and quite frankly, you know, until we become adults. Uh, we're given 95% of our core operating system. It's not that we, you know, in our own autonomy said, this is what I believe based mm -hmm. on what I have experienced, you know, clean of all these inputs or influences or whatnot. It is based on society. It's based on, you know, your, uh, you know, family, culture, background, country, experience, you know, whatever core lessons that you came in with or proclivities from, you know, when you were incarnated. Those are all there with you. So, I mean, it's, you're often kind of wondering, like, you know, at, at a certain time when you're looking through a certain lens or you have a certain thing, what are you really, like, what are you missing? What is right in front of you that you could be experiencing every day? Now, this isn't even talking about if you want to get into law of attraction. But when you think about that, like, if you, 
huge part of law of attraction is what you're vibrating and what your beliefs are. Now, if your core beliefs are something doesn't exist, you can never bring it into your reality. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but it will never come in. So you could be trying to manifest, I'm abundant, I have this new job, I'm living my you know, dream life, I have the perfect relationship. But if your core belief, your core belief, like the thing that you're resonating with, which does not lie, that is not your truth. You are absolutely blocking it. And that's where this, these, this practice of entrainment can come to really serve us because I think that we're more and more starting to be able to observe those aspects of our life as they show up the i'm all i'm always attracting this same kind of person that right. is in your conscious awareness you know isn't kind of matching your frequency however you're still on an outdated subconscious belief system well, it probably is matching your frequency when you think about it right based on the subconscious belief programming but that's where i think the intentional well, let's say healing can take place because then you can actually let that serve as your guide if you were taking those first steps to say wow i want to reprogram whatever is lingering in my subconscious about my beliefs about relationships Absolutely. or my beliefs about the opposite sex or the same sex or beliefs about myself and my own worthiness sure. you know and so many things i'm sure could arise from that exploration and i know that you know even just in the healing work of reiki and crystals we go into that but then adding the sound as a companion is just taking it to the next level and really taking it into that, again, that deeper uh, brain state to be able to reprogram. Yeah. And again, we're just, we're talking, I mean, I think this is all very connected. We're kind of talking about the physical mechanics of it. We're also talking about the biological wiring, the physiological wiring, how synapses connected to your nervous system, connect to your senses, connect to how your brain processes things and whatnot. Um, you know, obviously your podcast and, you know, our belief system is far beyond that, that we, you know, we are spiritual beings that we came in and incarnated for, to, you know, experience this reality, to experience density, to experience, um, you know, this, what it, uh, to time and what it means to, you know, move through things and, but also to learn our lessons, to get to know ourselves better, to heal you know, if there were core wounds that we came in with. So you said, you know, we're attracting the same thing over and over again, or we're wired a certain way. I think we're designed maybe on some level to do that because, you know, part of this process is learning those lessons. And you've seen it in your life. I've seen it in mine. You know, something might look different. It might have a different, you know, they might have a different name. It might be a different job, but it is the same lesson again and again and again and again. Hopefully until you, change that until you learn whatever that is heal whatever that thing is and release that um so i do think it's all very much inter inter intermixed and interwired now um i personally think some of these exercises whether it's you know whatever works for you whether it is the guided meditations whether it's guided meditations with hypnotherapy whether it's you know whatever the practice is that resonates with you whatever practice it is I think the beautiful news in this story is that we are very guided in this process. We're guided by our intuitive feelings, um, which, you know, uh, we might be getting inputs. This is why I think, you know, we might be getting inputs or certain lenses through whatever we're getting and how we're wired. But we have this kind of, you know, this other mechanism, this heart mechanism, which is saying, even with all the static, 
that doesn't feel right to me. Right, or that's that just not right working anymore. Yeah. Absolutely, but we're also programmed not to trust that. Sure. Which is the you know the great big mind f in right. this process. But again, that is the other beauty of meditation. That's the other beauty of mindfulness is that you're strengthening and learning to trust that muscle, that heart, that intuition, and you know you know things will start shifting for you. The other thing that happens in a lot of times in these states is that, you know, this unresolved matter comes up. Right. And so when you're, let's just say you're going into one of those states, like you could, I would imagine, have an, in, um, an intention based on that intuition. So let's just, we'll just use that same example of realizing that you're seeing that repeated pattern in your relationships. And you don't necessarily have to know what it was caused from or where it came from that might be uncovered when you're in that state so is there in you know from what you can gather you know how specific do we need to be if we are working to reprogram a certain aspect of our belief system how specific do we need to be before going into that state you know it's a great question now i will say that there's some benefits of meditation or you know doing an alpha track or a theta track one is invariably it's probably going to lower your blood pressure it's probably going to bring your heart rate down it's probably going to do a nice reset for your nervous system those are never bad things so just that process of quieting your mind of, of having that time of of reset of that kind of gift to yourself that ability to process or whatever it is that alone i think is a benefit um you know as you've done this for a lot of time, whether it's through working with Reiki or the crystals or sound healing or even you know yoga or body work, what you find, I think it's a process. Like these things come up. Right. And a lot of times um, those things stay buried. The other thing that happens when you start to get quiet for a period of time is you know staying busy or staying active or keeping you distracted is a way to keep those things unresolved. Or not feeling them maybe it's drinking all the time whatever it is, you know your drug of choice is the thoughts shopping you know, alcohol sex you know uh, uh, Netflix whatever it is yeah. you know we have those mechanisms one of the things when you start in these practices is that stuff will inevitably start to come up um, and I think you will somewhat be guided by that process as as well um, to answer your question specifically you know, if you have already identified that you, there's something you either have a goal for something or there's something that you um, want to work on or to change, it's certainly very helpful to be specific about that. The other thing is to do it in a positive manner. The subconscious does not, and the universe, quite frankly, does not understand negatives. So putting things into a positive statement. You know, this might sound really silly to, you know, folks who might be listening to this, but the terms I am are like the two most powerful words that you can say. I am, and then in a positive, in a positive statement. So uh, here's the other great news about that. There's people who are far more qualified than me with more experience of this that have already done a lot of stuff like this. I mean, if you really want to get into the, you know, utilizing health helper entrainment, there's a ton of different resources for that, and they've done this for 20, 30 years. I mean, the technology is pretty, pretty simple on, on one level, but there is nuances to it. 
and you know layering in neural neural linguistic programming or affirmations or guided meditation those things are all very powerful access points into the into the the subconscious and they're there and i would encourage anyone to go look for that right now, you're going to find a wild west of crap right well that's YouTube the other point and so i think and i think sometimes you know obviously you've even just relayed so much information and there's so much to this if we really want to like go deep and nerd out and yeah. like get to know this topic but let's just say okay with all of that being said how can we just like have a really simple guide of how we were to were to begin like if we you know we we are getting these sparks internally just by listening to this thinking that this might be something fun to sure. explore what would be like the easiest kind of go-to that you would recommend for someone? Yeah, I would. There's a couple of people. I mean, I'm going to, you know, I have some stuff. I created an app called Pure Focus, which was really integrating all of these different concepts. And they're six minute long. I'm not saying this to, to pitch myself, but I'm just saying like I actually incorporated a lot of these different concepts, whether it's the sound and the visual and the entrainment and choice in that process. And they're six minutes long. And it's a quick induction and then affirmation statements with, you know, these specific brainwaves. Um, there's, you know, places called the, like the Monroe Institute, which has some fantastic uh, things from everything from losing weight and stopping smoking to, you know, uh, meeting your higher self and contacting loved ones who have passed. I mean, it runs the gambit, which is all about consciousness states. Um, so those are some great ones. Uh, there's a ton of really high quality you know, so different ones on, you know, Anora is a great, one of the better binaural beat companies that I found that, but there's a lot of them. Um, and you'll also find like, you know, a lot of people in this process will incorporate binaural into, into their various things. But, um, you know, I would, you know, if you're going to go to the wild west of YouTube and I'm not saying there aren't good things on YouTube, there are some really good ones actually. Um, uh, there's a New Horizons Center from the UK, which does a lot of children's meditations, but they also, and I don't know that they're actually used by Noro, but um, they do have some great meditations, which are free online that you can listen to as well. But, you know, I would I, just try it. Right. And I think that the other great thing about working with the entrainment and the binaural beats or whatever method, you know, you're diving into is that you actually don't have to be a meditator. You absolutely don't. And it's a really nice option for someone who maybe was kind of putting up that wall about what they believed about their ability to meditate and uh, just take yourself on a new journey. Yeah. And a lot of people who meditate have the issue, I can't, my mind was racing, I can't stop the thoughts, I can't stop the thoughts. Well, one, we're not our thoughts. So you, there are some techniques you can do in meditation where you are you kind of can detach from those thoughts and say, this might be running like, you know, uh, like the roadrunner the whole time, but my thoughts are not who I am. My thoughts are not me. They're not, they're not my identity. Um, so kind of detaching from that. But the great thing about the binaural is even if you're, you know, you're, you, you, your thoughts are needing Ritalin for the entire process, your brain is still in training. Like it is, it's, it is happening. It's like literally like weightlifting for the brain. It is, those brain waves are, you know, whatever. Now you can certainly strengthen and facilitate that if you're less distracted and you're kind of in the process and facilitating and having intentions about that process and participating. But you're getting the benefits of it, of it regardless. And not to give up at, at, at first. It, it's going to be, you know, if you're programmed to that your brain is running all the time, that's what it knows. That's what it thinks it's supposed to be doing. So it's going to take a minute. 
Right. It's going to take a minute. It's going to take a couple sessions. Right. And that's what, yeah, exactly. That is the the power of the reprogramming. And that is in the essence of, you know, anyone that's been, you know, and had a Reiki session, you know, you, you feel different afterwards. And, but if you are working on something specific, you know, there is a process in that, well, we can call it healing. We can call it reprogramming. We can, you know, process that might take a certain amount of time. But I just, I think that this, this way of exploring yourself can be really fun and really interesting, which is really the inspiration to want to talk about it today. Yeah. And I think the other thing is I loved how it made me feel. That's mm-hmm. why I stuck with it. I got it, it. It helped me get into some really profoundly peaceful states and insightful states and meditative states and quickly. Mm-hmm. And that felt really good. So I kept doing it. And I think that's the other thing. Like, I don't expect, you know, people who are doing these practices, are there going to be challenges? Are they going to be doing things? Yeah, but I think you're pretty much setting yourself up for failure if, if you are entering into a practice that the majority of it you do not enjoy. Right. And I'm not saying like spiritual bypass or not doing real work and stuff, but there are things that you you naturally acclimate to. There are things that resonate with you. There are things that turn you on and excite you and, and you know, tickle you and that you just kind of, you gravitate more to and that you enjoy. And there's pathways for that for any number, any of these pieces of work right. in any of these pathways, you know, right. whatever, whatever it would be. And, um, I, and I would imagine that was your, one of your main inspirations for the app because you're giving people the opportunity to kind of pick their own experience because I know that I hear from clients and students all the time that you know they maybe they tried one you know one person on YouTube or a few people on YouTube and then they were discouraged maybe they got annoyed by the sound of their voice or it wasn't like the music that they liked or you know and so to know just we have such a plethora of these options out there and so I think having fun in that exploration of Oh, what does feel good? And knowing that you're allowed to feel good in the experience, even if you are kind of going into these deeper depths of who you are. And I think that to be able to curate that for yourself is, is really powerful because then you feel like you're held in your created, you know, container of comfort in order to kind of to do this deeper exploration. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would be very honest with you. I mean, the other very big interest for me was the spiritual side of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, uh, this, these techniques, this technology helped me access, you know, consciousness states that were, that are and were profound. And when you said, you know, getting the benefits of someone who's been doing meditation for 20 years, who, you know, one of the, one of the things that, you know, one of the goals, for example, of these longer term is achieving Samadhi, for example. Now, people talk about it t- taking lifetimes to, to get to that state. And I'm not saying that doing an entrainment track is going to have you access a state of eternal bliss with that and enlightenment, but it, it exercises the same muscles, let's put it that way. And it can help you get into very high spiritual states that way. And I just found that to be, I just, I think it's an amazing gift that we have something like that. Sure. And as we all know, just by way of feeling, every time we've had some sort of 
contact with spirit our own spirit or a spiritual experience yeah they're always the most deep and the most meaningful and we never forget them because of the way that they make us feel absolutely and so i think that it is just governed through feeling and showing up for ourselves based on the remembrance of wow that made me feel good or however we describe it in our own verbiage but the feeling is what speaks for it even though we can talk all day about the the science behind it and all you know all these intricacies but ultimately it's just by doing it yourself and and letting the the feeling lead the way yeah and we are here to experience you know we really are here to experience for ourselves and to discover for ourselves um and how else would we want to do that i mean how else would we want to come to our truths unless it was experientially unless it was authentic for for us Right. You know, and especially, you know, if you if we do believe that we are made in the creator's image, that we are part of the all that, you know, we are built to have to be creators and to have those experiences and to have that range of emotion and and to 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 learn through the polarity and uh, of, of this existence. And, you know, through all the things that we that the contrast and all the things that we have, like uh, we were gifted with. The heart center. We were gifted with our connection to spirit. We were gifted with our intuition. We were gifted with our with our senses. I mean, we are here to experience and process, and you know, to create and make decisions based on on those things. And I think the other beautiful thing about be it meditation or the mindfulness practice or using the entrainment is that it can help facilitate clarity. And it can help you to recognize things that you might that you know might have been unresolved, that might have been hidden. And I think as we bring things to the surface, as we they become enlightened, as light you know appears and you know goes into those dark corners and reveals those things. You know, once we know about something, we can do something about it. When it's unconscious or we're not aware of it, there's nothing we can. We're 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 kind of powerless to that. So. This whole process of enlightenment, this whole process of trying to be mindful and to be uh, introspective and to, you know, do the deep work where you're looking into, you know, what makes me tick and, you know, what are my triggers and what are my core beliefs? And, you know, on the other side, what, what do I really love? What is really of value to me? What do I really care about? You know, these processes of, of you know, kind of pushing aside that programming and giving yourself the space to have an authentic experience of who you are. And what your feelings are and what your beliefs are and what your desires are and your passions are is an invaluable experience. It's an invaluable experience. Yeah, you just said that so beautifully. And I think that really sums it up beautifully. So I just want to thank you for sharing your mind and your heart, your spirit with me and with everyone. And I will definitely leave in the comments ways that people can get in contact with you if they if they want to and they want to learn more well thank you so much i really appreciate it thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the honor your aura podcast if you enjoyed this conversation as much as i did please leave a review and share with your friends because i want you to be the start of the ripple that allows others to honor and empower the energy that lies within